Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for seasons one through four of Stranger Things and for Stranger Things The First Shadow. This episode may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all listeners. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Amanda. I'm Marina. And, and this, this is Starcourt Star Study, Study Hall. Hi. We're here. We are here, and I remembered to <laughs> click record this time. <laughs> For those of you who listen to us talk every week, you don't know how much of a feat that it is that we are here oh today. Oh my gosh, you really don't. <laughs> we really, yeah, we've been going through it, people. Yeah, those of you who have been listening for a while, you know I have a cat named Bernie, and he is currently going through a, a mystery illness. That's why you haven't heard him in the background for a while, which, you know, for auditory purposes is nice, but I do miss him. Sure. So yeah, just kind of dealing with that. It's It's been tough. You all know how much of a cat lady I am. So I'm glad that we're here today. It's a welcome yeah. distraction from poor Burnster. So give me your, your good thoughts, everybody. Yeah. And Amanda and I are both millennials without children, with animals. Mm -hmm. So as you know, they are our children. Yes, they are. So this is, you know, it's not easy for people. Uh, yeah. But here we are. Here we are. Let's talk about Stranger Things instead of terrible other things. Right. Which, you know, I guess this kind of sucks too. <laughs> for them. <laughs> for them. Not for us, but yeah. we're having a good time. We're having time. a great time with whatever's going on with them. With their imprisonment and stuff. <laughs> Great. We love to see it. All right. Today on Starcourt Study Hall, we are talking about chapter three of season four, The Monster and the Superhero, part one. And Amanda's going to give us our summary. Yes. So this chapter was written by Caitlin Schneiderham. It was directed by Sean Levy. Sean, Whoa. Sean Levy's back. And fun fact, every chapter three of each season so far has been directed by Sean Levy. Wow. Right? Pretty cool. This chapter aired on May 27th, 2022, much like all of its cousins. And I don't know why they're cousins. And here is the summary <laughs> straight from Netflix. Murray and Joyce fly to Alaska. An L faces serious consequences. Robin and Nancy dig up dirt on Hawkins' demons. Dr. Owens delivers sobering news. This might be one of the better ones. It might be, and that's largely because, like, that's all Murray and Joyce do for, like, the entirety of this episode. <laughs> right, they literally do just fly to Alaska. That's all they're doing. That's that's literally all they're... They spend the entire chapter on the plane. Yes, 100%. So, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a pretty good summary, actually. It is, and especially the demons right. dig up dirt on hot... Like, that's oh, a good... That's yeah, good. that's true. They do say demons. For some fast facts for Chapter 3, The Monster and the Superhero... This is the shortest episode of season four, so enjoy it while you can. And, and we're still going to split it. We still are. We still are. Because, so this episode, I noticed, doing the scene by scene, we end up with the same amount of scenes that we used to end up with, like doing chapters or seasons one and two and three. Mm -hmm. It's wild. It is weird. 
There is no music over the main credits of this chapter at the end. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yep, there's no music when the credits roll at the end. And this only happens with a handful of other episodes. Season 1, Chapter 7, The Bathtub, does not have any music at the end. It just has disgusting, slimy, squelching, upside-down noises. <laughs> and Season 2, Chapter 4, Will the Wise, also sort of has the same disgusting, slimy, squelching, upside-down noises. No music. Fascinating. Yes, so this is only one of three chapters in the entire series that does not have music over the credits at the end. Mm. Okay. And then lastly, this is just my own thing that I like that I wanted to mention. I like how the name of this chapter calls us back to season one, chapter six, the monster. That's right. It totally does. It just tacks on and the superhero on the end. I like that. Same. You know what? I really like that, especially because this whole chapter does kind of grapple with Elle's problem of is she the monster or is she the superhero? And that's right. The monster that chapter six is referring to is the monster that Elle thinks she is. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. All right, let's get into our scene by scene for part one. Welcome, everyone, to Running Up That Hill, Nevada. Just kidding. We're in Ruth, Nevada. R-U-T-H. Our fourth Mm -hmm. location of season four. And Lieutenant Colonel Jack Sullivan is paying a visit to Mr. and Mrs. Owens by landing a helicopter in their front yard. As Owens looks through the disturbing post-mortem photographs of Chrissy, Sullivan explains that there was no sign of any attacker, no sign of a struggle. It's almost as if the attacker was a ghost. Owens reminds the colonel that he'd been fired, but Sullivan politely points out that Russia invaded the United States under his watch, so bad luck, my guy. The doctor stands up, claiming that no one fully understands the scope of what's going on in Hawkins, and military strength is not the answer. Sullivan hands Owens a photo of Eleven from her time in the lab. Then what is the answer, Doctor? More scientists? Everything that has happened in Hawkins can be traced back to Brenner's little pet. Did Owens always live here, or did he purchase this house to be close to Nina? Oh, that's a great question. Or or is Nina there because he lives there? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess that's also a good point. I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. He's so close by. Because it does seem a little suspicious. Like, why would you? But how could he have? How could he have always lived there if he was working in Hawkins? Oh yeah, obviously he no. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. Oh wow, I don't know. I wonder what it was. Listen, I don't know. I mean, it seems like Lieutenant Colonel Jack Sullivan has access to a helicopter anytime he wants. So maybe Owen's true. Maybe yeah. Maybe Sam does. Very good point. We just fly from Nevada to uh, Indiana every single day. No. (laughs) That sounds totally correct. No. (laughs) Okay. I've always been like I mean I this might be like a major issue on my part with this whole season but Mm -hmm. this is kind of like a broad complaint but I've always been very confused about the lack of critical thinking skills from Sullivan here. Like, hmm, why is there literally zero thought that maybe there's another kid out there? There was a whole lab. Sure. And he never, ever uses his brain for one second to say, hey, what if Brenner had multiple pets? Yeah. You know? I struggle with this question, too, on like a larger scale. How clued in is the federal government really? Yeah. That's true. Like, they know about Eleven. Why wouldn't they know about the rest of the kids? Right. That's very true. Why wouldn't they know about Henry? I don't know. Especially considering the Creel crime scene looked exactly like Chrissy's. 
Right. And also, Owens clearly knows about Henry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, he, do you think he knows at this point about Henry? Yeah. Okay. I think his spiel that he gives to Eleven at the end of this chapter proves that oh. he knows about Henry. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's just my personal feeling. And just another fun little thing in this scene. The dishes shaking before the helicopter lands <laughs> is definitely a nod to Jurassic Park. Is it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, it's I'm definitely think. supposed to be, like, a nod to, like, the water in the, the glass mm, shaking. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't find it online, and I've never seen this movie, so I didn't want to, like, verify this. But I'm pretty sure Owens' wife seeing the light come through the blinds is very, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. I, I think that's what I thought you were going to say before you said Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's what I think it, it's supposed to be a nod to. Maybe we should watch that. I know, right? Yeah. It never made sense to me, like, why both as the helicopter is coming and going, they go stand outside (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then, like, shield themselves from the dust. Like, Like, you could just stay inside. Go inside. That's your house right behind you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll probably knock on the door. Like, you don't need to go out and greet them. (laughs) Hi. Hey, um, we couldn't find we, here. we couldn't find the heliport, so we just landed on the front lawn. Hope you don't mind. Um, yeah, like I, it's just it just always makes me laugh because him and Cat Kathy, right? Kathy's his wife's name. Yes, they go out and stand and they shield themselves. And I'm like, just go inside. Know, what like, are you doing? The drama. I know for real. <laughs> I think that we get a little bit of sullivan criticizing owens and kind of brenner Mm -hmm. for that boundary pushing of like science he's like it's scientists who made this problem to begin with so i think we get a little bit of that here from sullivan also owens says like military strength is not the answer which i think is like a, a key takeaway from this because i think we are expecting some level of military occupation in hawkins for season five i think i would expect i mean that's what we see at the end of season four it seems like the military is heavily involved already sure that that whole thing always bothered me too if it's not this one thing it has to be this other thing Mm. why are these the only two options right what would you call that like a like a false equivalency almost what False false dichotomy yes yeah that sounds right Yes, Eli says, yeah, false dichotomy. Yeah, like, why Why is it just those two things? Yeah, why is it either military strength or scientists? Why, why is sure. there no in-between? <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good point. I agree. I don't know. There's, like, other options here. No, no, it's just okay. snipers or scientists. Pick one. <laughs> Sullivan shares another photo with Owens of what appears to be Connie Frazier, dead in the hallway of Hawkins Middle School, Gun still in hand, the state of her eyes strikingly similar to Chrissy's. Dr. Brenner trained her for this very thing. Remote assassinations. Owen stops Sullivan, though, because this is impossible. Eleven is dead. Sullivan isn't convinced, though. There's rumors that she's alive and receiving help from someone on the inside. Quickly realizing what Sullivan is implying, Owens begins to defend himself, but the colonel proceeds. You can make this easy and tell us where she is, or we can do this the hard way. So many people chasing the wrong person. Right? Like, Jason and Sullivan both chasing the wrong people while hunting for the same actual person. So true. Wow. That's a great point. Yeah. Yep. Who is this man? Like, what? 
What gives him the authority <laughs> to do this? I'm so confused. Like, who is he? Who's the president? Did he get this direct oh, from yeah. the president? Yeah, who would be the president at this time? Reagan. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if this was like direct orders from Ronnie or what, but... No, Ronnie. Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie Riggs. Ronnie Riggs. I don't like that. And Nance. <laughs> Nance. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know who he is or what his authority is. He, he's a lieutenant colonel. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of colonels, okay... Back to, remember what I said when we were talking about Vecna's curse mm-hmm. and how, like, Jason's not incorrect. The kernel of truth is Cur- there, okay? <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with this. Kernels. I was like, are we going to start talking about corn? <laughs> anyway. Does corn have kernels? Yes. What do you mean? Corn is are kernels. The segments. Yeah. I don't know. Little, You're right. The little corn beans. <laughs> the kernels. Not corn wow. bean. In case, in case you couldn't tell, I was actually up all night last night. So that explains a lot of what's going on here today. It doesn't explain why I don't know how corn works anymore. <laughs> it does not explain why Marina doesn't know how corn works. But anyway, kernels. Yes, but, kernel of truth. Yes, but kernels. So... Jason's colonel (laughs) is there, the truth. Yes. But Sullivan's is too with the remote assassinations. Mm -hmm. Like, they both have the the right idea here. They're just not putting the pieces together correctly. And is that really what Brenner was doing? Is that like, because I remember like when he says this, I was like, what? Like, this was like a shock. Because we didn't. I think the jury is out. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't know what exactly, if any any specific job Brenner was training her for. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe that's what Brenner said that to the government that he was doing mm. to keep funding. That's probably- but he's really fiddle fucking around with the upside down yeah. and Demogorgons. Yeah, under the guise of Russia. That makes sense. When when Sullivan said that, when I saw this for the first time, I was like, remote assassinations. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think that was left purposely vague Okay, in season one, maybe. I just wanted to point out how this episode is called The Monster and the Superhero, not The Monster or the Superhero. Oh. The hunt for Elle is now on, officially, right? Mm-hmm. I think which contributes to the idea of her being the monster in our brains, even though we know that she's not. Right. And I think that the fact that this chapter is called the monster and the superhero and not the monster or the superhero is meant to imply the existence of two separate identities Mm. or entities and i also think we can kind of apply this monster and superhero thing to jason and eddie too oh okay which one's the monster which one's the superhero i don't think we see eddie as the hero yet but i think we definitely start to see jason as the monster yeah i think so i like your point though about like the monster and the superhero because i think it also implies what we've sort of been starting to understand about l in the beginning mm-hmm. of this season and that is that she is a human being yeah she has flaws and she has ugly feelings and ugly actions mm-hmm. which people do like not everybody is is black and white good or bad and i think that the the monster and the superhero title is very indicative of that struggle we see within l but that you can have both 
Yes, yeah, like you can have a dark side and a light side. Yeah, she seems to not understand that. She seems to think you have to be one or the other. And yeah, I think the the point here is for us to see and hopefully for her to learn that that's not the case. Right, like it's not mutually exclusive, hence the and and not an or. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Just then, several soldiers burst into Owens's home, ransacking his belongings and dismantling his furniture. Kathy, Owens's wife, begins to protest, demanding to know why their possessions are being confiscated, but the soldier ignores her. Through with their search, the military embarks the helicopter, which promptly takes off, leaving Kathy and a very nervous-looking Sam alone again. In the helicopter, Sullivan radios a colleague. I want to know everything he's done and everyone he's spoken to in the past year, and if we're lucky, he'll lead us right to the girl. Remember the whole Henry is Peter and Peter is Henry thing? And we were all like, ah, because of Kathy saying, those are Peter's old school projects. And we were all like, why would they pick the name Peter? Yeah, we were all reading into it, thinking that maybe Owens was involved with Henry one. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. No. <laughs> they, I feel like they threw a lot of weird things like that at us pre-season four like misdirects like with the with the with the gravestone like weird things Mm -hmm. that we weren't to throw us off because it would give away like a major plot point yeah yeah a lot of red herrings were thrown at us i feel like yes which mm, yep mm, Mm. i wonder if this season might have had the biggest red herring of all ew i just got goosebumps (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. The biggest and the reddest of the herrings. Wow. <laughs> and the, ten- the baldest. The tentacliest of the herrings. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. This whole season was a red herring. Oh, my God. Oh, my- Ooh. Ew. Okay. Ew. <laughs> Who knows? Disgusting. So, I mean, he is. <laughs> See, this is why, like, it's so I love doing this podcast because, like. I know. <laughs> I didn't even, like, really write. I literally wrote for the last scene, the Peter Ballard thing, question mark. and it led us to this amazing discussion right like so good all right well unfortunately we we do have to go back to rinkomania okay so sorry it's okay so back at rinkomania a distraught and bloodied angela enters the find out phase of fuck around and find out i mean cries and answers the emt's questions about the roller skate (laughs) incident no mercy (laughs) sorry a crowd has gathered and jonathan and argyle have arrived Nearby, Elle sits at a table, anxious and fidgeting, as Mike watches her. Now in the van on the way home, Argyle and Jonathan, who are both high, assure Elle that the future prom queen will be totally fine. In their stupor, Argyle shares how roller skate attacks happen way more than you think. And Jonathan chimes in, hey, at least it wasn't an ice skate. (laughs) Well, thanks. They continue to discuss how it could have been so much worse. Both turning to face Elle in the back seat, but she just tears up. In the grand scheme of things, Jonathan goes on, it's just a little blip. We didn't rehearse that, by the way. No, it was implied. It's pretty good. Wow. Wow, what a scene. What a scene. I would like to start at the top right. with why would the EMT ask Angela where it hurts? And then when she says her head, he says, your head hurts? I wonder why. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Somebody revoke this man's EMT license. Seriously. 
I think it should be fairly apparent where it hurts. Uh, her toe. Yeah. Her toe. Ouchie. <laughs> or in the words of what's-his-face, owie. Mm-hmm. Similar. S- similar. Yes. Wound. Similar similar bonk in the head. You know who that else? That Bruce suffers. Has a similar wound on their face? Who? Brenner. Oh, shit. It's a, like. You're right. Yes. The Yep. There's a lot of face cuts. There are. Fred as well. Yes. What's up with that? I don't know. I'll think about it and get back to Thank you. Thank you. And assign meaning. <laughs> as we do. Yes. I have to say Argyle's comforting skills are like kind of good. They are pretty good. I agree with that. Yeah. Like really not that bad. I mean, okay. Maybe if he like wasn't high, it might be a little better. Or maybe not. I don't know. This seems kind of like his baseline. Um, it might add to it. Right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that wasn't really that bad of a pep talk at first. No. And I think, like, we are kind of watching Elle's decline here. Like, she's even, like, when you see her sitting at Rinkum, she's, like, fidgeting. Yeah. Her foot is tapping. Like, she's re- trying to reconcile with the fact that she just, like, succumbed to came, succumbed to a violent yeah. impulse. I feel like she's, like, kind of grappling with everything she thought she knew about herself. Yeah. Their nonsense is, like lighthearted and i think we all needed it mm-hmm. for a minute after what happened like it's 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 welcome comic relief for sure yes yeah honestly if i i mean you know it's a different thing but i think if i was in Elle's position and i had just done something really awful and felt really bad about it these two in the front doing that might actually make me feel a little better <laughs> like make you laugh a yeah. little like the blip 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 blip, blip. like I, yeah and i think it's funny also like yes it's lighthearted but it also proves to us which we need to know in a couple of scenes but it also proves to us that like none of these people are scared of her they don't view her as a monster they're not afraid they they watched her do this thing and are trying to comfort her actually so true they're like all just treating her as like a human being with a flaw yeah and being like hey like it sucks but she's gonna be okay like things are gonna be okay and we can laugh and things are all right no one is saying like wow what a terrible human and yeah. get out of my car you ah. have to walk home like nobody also like jonathan is absolutely correct this is literally just a blip it so is everything is a blip it is all things all things are just blips it doesn't matter also the makeup department shout out to you guys because jonathan's eyes are so spot on Mm, they are mm -hmm. perfectly red and glassy and beautiful Mm -hmm. so good and then i think too like on the opposite end of things maybe from the other angle they're very frustrated that these two aren't acknowledging maybe the gravity of what did actually just happen yes yes like it can be infuriating and i think will in particular is like can you just come back down to reality for one minute? Yeah. Just one minute. So there's definitely two sides to this coin. Yeah. I really identify with with Will sometimes. Like, I can see the disappointment in his face when he watches his brother. And I think he just wants him back. And yeah, not going to lie, I was, well, okay. I was, I had a youth group phase. So I was like really, really anti-drug like in high school. And like, I remember mm-hmm. this feeling of feeling like, why like why why do you need to do that to yourself kind of thing Mm -hmm. like and you know i also grew up with addiction in my family so not well we don't know if will has ever seen that but like 
that it's just always something that like really bothered me as a young person so I can really relate to Will's feelings here of like I just want my brother back like why is he changing himself in this way like it's it's frustrating to watch and you feel like you're you're kind of fading into the background yeah and I think you overcompensate by maybe taking on more of reality because somebody else close to you has stopped accepting reality yes so it's like well now i have to overcompensate and accept it even more yes i'm actually i say i'm gonna say reading in air quotes because i'm listening to the audiobook of this book called running on empty it's about emotional neglect in childhood it's very interesting Mm -hmm. and kind of reminds me of that there's like they talk about parentification a lot and how like yeah in a in a family that's dealing with something you know tragic or like beyond the scope of comprehension like a lot of times kids will have to reverse those roles and that's kind of what's happening yeah. with, with will right now jonathan did his time as his parent he did and now will's doing it's it. true mm-hmm. yeah that is it's, and it, jonathan's kind of kind of finally found a a moment to breathe i think yes what he's breathing what he's breathing in is, yeah. is smoke <laughs> but he's breathing there you go yeah it's a cycle yes i just have one last note about this scene Mm-hmm. Um, and it is that, if you notice, Jonathan and Argyle are kind of doing a little melody in, in their little blip song, um, which you might recognize as the quintessential like circus music that yes. they're singing. Are you aware of what the title of that piece is? No. Are you ready? Yes. That piece was written in, in 1897, and it is titled entrance of the gladiators <laughs> wow <laughs> so intense <laughs> for such a for a circus a song that has been reduced <laughs> right um yeah it was written by a czech composer whose name i am not going to attempt to butcher right now um okay fair but it's kind of fascinating it's <laughs> It was written as, you know, like a war song. Yeah. But if you go to the Wikipedia page, the last sentence in like the general summary part just says, today it is best known for its association with circuses. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Entrance of the gladiators. Wow. Yeah. Here they come. Here they come. Argyle and Jonathan and Will and Mike and Elle. Gladiators. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, that's a fun fact. I like that. Yeah. Jonathan, Argyle, L, Will, and Mike reach the buyer's home to find Murray in their kitchen, whipping up dinner, opera music blaring. You kids like risotto? The gang settles in at at the dinner table, Joyce joining them. Murray tries to explain that he's totally just stopping by because he was in town, and Joyce adds nervously, small world, isn't it? The two continue their ruse, Joyce begging Murray to stay, and Murray reminding Joyce that he can't because of her very important business trip. Will and Elle stop eating to question their mom. What business trip? Oh, the one to Alaska. The Britannicas are based there. In Alaska. Joan and Brian, Britannica. Duh. Joyce lets Jonathan know that he's going to need to take charge in her absence, but he hasn't been listening at all and has no clue what's going on, <laughs> garnering, garnering an eye roll from Will. I think this, <laughs> when the five of them walk in, and are watching this happen. This is like an iconic mm-hmm. season four shot. Yes, like the they're like assembled in like a triangle. Yes, it's very similar to Elle flanking them in the sauna test mm-hmm. where she's standing in the front and she's got the other four behind her. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Murray. 
of all people to be happy to see this guy you would think jonathan would be the last person who would be like hi i know but he's just he's happy to be here he is he is he kids like risotto Can you pass me the olive oil that's that's wine and like why what? would he want olive oil for what right for his salad the salad yeah, i guess yeah uh but I, when when murray's like you kids like risotto and jonathan's like yeah yeah <laughs> so funny i think that the way mike glares at murray i'm trying to imagine these two like working together yes that but i also wrote mike 100 percent jo- thinks that joyce and murray are fucking <laughs> i feel like that's what that look was telling me they kind of give that vibe, don't they? Right, like they're hiding something weird and they're giggly and like, what is happening? They're being very sus. They are. I really feel like at least Mike <laughs> thinks that something weird is going on here. Yeah. And it's kind of funny that Murray and Joyce are putting on a ruse and so are Hopper and Dimitri mm-hmm. putting on a ruse later. Yes. And so are the kids right now at the table, by the way. Everybody's li- friends don't lie. Who missed the memo? All here? these friends are lying. All these all these friends are lying. <laughs> I also wrote I I feel I mean we didn't get to that scene yet, but the look on Elle's face when she sees Murray is very similar mm. to me to when Nancy sees Steve later. Mm. Like, wow, I'm Interesting. I'm happy to see you, but also what are you doing here? Yes, yeah. Like, I feel like your presence cannot mean a good thing. Yeah, there's something up. Yeah. Also, Argyle asking about if Eskimos live in igloos <laughs> or if they live in the suburbs <laughs> now. Still have no idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, this is a great Another scene. good comic relief I, scene. It makes you feel safe. Doesn't it? Yes. Don't these scenes make you feel safe? Yes. I'm like, oh, okay. We're just at family dinner now. Yeah, we're safe, but we're not. We're not. But we feel safe. I need to see more Argyle and Murray in season five. Wonderful. These two. I also. Yes. We haven't obviously gotten anywhere near this, but the fact that Argyle's just in California now or uh, in Hawkins oh, yeah. now. Does he have a family? Where is, is anybody going to wonder where their son is? Like what? The pizza. Surfer Boy Pizza is going to be like, where is our van? <laughs> Are you coming to work? Oh my god, he took the van. Surf that whole scene with the van gives the crusty crab pizza with with <laughs> SpongeBob and Squidward. It's finally arriving. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. Anyway. Confused and somehow not understanding that her son is high as a kite, Joyce asks Jonathan what is wrong with him. I think I know what's wrong with him. <laughs> he claims that they just had a super stressful day and Argyle proceeds to tell the table that this girl got smacked today at the roller rink in one of those vicious skate attacks. Murray and Joyce listen curiously as the two ramble on about how the girl is going to be totally fine, but Mike whispers under his breath, she didn't look fine. Elle, sensing Mike's judgment, throws her fork onto the plate and storms off as Will sighs in frustration. Murray, sensing tension, expresses his concern. Is it the risotto? Everyone hates the risotto. No, no, absolutely not. In fact, this risotto is schmacking, dude. Can we talk about Murray always calling out Jonathan on his bullshit? <laughs> yeah. He's like, stress, huh? <laughs> Murray's like, and that was your third lie. Yes, the third lie. <laughs> the third lie. 
Mike, who the hell are you? Do you live I here? I literally, I don't know <laughs> to here. answer your question. He doesn't live there. No, I'm sorry. She didn't look fine. Who are you? Where is the snark coming from? Because it, like, where, it doesn't feel like it makes sense with the next few scenes. It's so bizarre. It's so, I, the next, I can't. The next few scenes, I, oh, yeah, Mike in this episode really, really got me. Yeah, and even Will looks at him like, what the, yeah, like, what the fuck, what? I know. It is, it's bizarre. It just doesn't make sense. Mike, to me, does not make sense in this episode. A lot of Mike's actions do not make sense. Mm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I honestly don't really have any, like, fully formed thoughts. (laughs) I'm just mad. (laughs) I actually don't have any thoughts. Um, I'm just upset. (laughs) I just, I don't like it. I just have a lot of feelings. I just have a lot of feelings. Go home. Go home. <laughs> okay. Jonathan is so emphatic about the risotto being good. It's very cute. No. It probably is good. It looks amazing. This whole meal looked good, honestly. It really did. Yeah. Elle, who has retreated to her room, lays down on her bed and clutches her pillow. She recounts the events of the day, particularly Mike, demanding to know what she did following the roller skate attack. As she relives hitting Angela, other images showing bloodied, dead, and disfigured children flood her thoughts. She recalls Brenner demanding to know what she has done, as more disturbing visuals from the mysterious Hawkins Lab massacre plague her memories. In the Upside Down, we see several bats descend upon a decrepit old house, Vecna's lair. Several tentacles attach themselves to his back as he stands, waiting, and he slowly begins to rise into the air, the familiar upside-down storm raging outside. A realm unspoiled by mankind is playing. Except it is clearly very spoiled by mankind. Super spoiled. <laughs> it's like expired years ago. Yeah, seriously. Throw that out. At this point, I'm like, we're all just like, what is what is going on? Like, what is the connection here? What does it mean? Elle keeps seeing these dead children. We see this house. We see this Vec man. What is happening? It kind of seems like they were handing it to us, doesn't it? A little bit. A little bit. Doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Like, every time Elle... We get, like, these, like, setting up shots of Vecna plugging himself in. Writing this, I realize how many times they show us the same things yeah. because I have to write it every time. They do... This is very repetitious at this point. It's like it's like a formula. Like, flashback, switches to Vecna, standing in the attic, plugging in, Vecna groaning. It's like the same thing over and over and over. Vecna it's groaning. a lot of time spent setting up this this connection thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, like upon our first watch of this, I think we're getting that there's something, that there is a connection between these two and oh, mm-hmm. it just leaves you so curious to know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, what's going on here? Yes. We get really gruesome shots of the massacre here. Like, I think more than we've seen. We see the magic eight ball and the chessboard both covered in blood, Mm -hmm. which I think are two very interesting objects, considering who we might associate them both with. Mm. We might associate Kali with a magic eight ball, Mm -hmm. and we definitely associate Henry with the chessboard. Wow. Yeah. We also have, again, going back a little bit to season three, this use of these playful objects in these, like, really gruesome and violent contexts. Yeah. So we have the roller skate. We have the wooden dice, the crayons, the block. Like, we see all of these, like, cheerful, playful, youthful objects used for violence. Mm. Yeah. 
In Hawkins, Lucas awakens the following morning, still at Benny's. Noticing that there is no one inside, he leaves to find Jason, Andy, and Patrick packing up their car with various tools, preparing for the hunt. Lucas watches nervously, and Jason reassures him that they're not killers like Eddie. They just want to talk to him with wrenches and bats. He tells Hmm. Lucas if he's not up to it, he can go home, but Lucas claims that he wants to help. Jason smirks and slams the trunk of the car closed. Let's capture us a freak. So there was a transition shot used here between these two scenes to show like the passage of a day. And it felt so weirdly out of context for Stranger Things. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I didn't notice it. So that we go from seeing Vecna doing his nonsense to like the image of a sun. And it just, it was just like, it just felt so, I don't know, it just felt like out of place to show the passage of time. Because I think that's what we're supposed to get here, right? Is that the night has passed and it is now the next day. I just I just wanted to point it out because it just feels like very not a device that Stranger Things uses that often. No, that's like a very like early 2000s sitcom kind of thing. Yes, it's like the rising sun yeah. and it's like oak and it's in the sky. It just felt so jarring. They give us like the Hannah Montana transition music. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Ooh. I don't know if it was, and I also think there was an object that was used as like the sun, and then it may, but maybe it was Vecna's egg like head. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, we, it, in that transition shot, we, we do get a nice shot of a speed limit sign hanging over uh, the, yes. the bed where Lucas is laying on the floor, and 69 is painted over 25. Nice. Yes. Nice. I have a, an issue with time okay. here. Okay, Henry, go off. Okay, so Lucas has presumably now spent two nights at Benny's. Okay, where are his parents? Is it Saturday or Sunday? Because the game was on a Friday. Yeah, right. We are meant to understand that it is Sunday now because it has been two nights since the game. However, Friday is the club meeting and the basketball game. Sure. Right. Lucas wakes up at Benny's and they go hell. The cops show up, whatever. Everybody's watching the broadcast, right, from Vecna's Curse. Mm-hmm. So we have Steve and Robin watching it at Family Video. We see Jason and the basketball team watching it at Benny's. We see Nancy and Fred watching the broadcast on a Saturday from school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's supposed to imply to us that, like, that's that's why Nancy couldn't go anywhere for spring break. Because they had to work on the newspaper over spring okay. break. Okay. I think I think that's what we were supposed to take away from that. Because remember, they couldn't print the front page until they knew who won the basketball game. Right. And that corroborates that this was a Jonathan issue and not a Nancy issue. 100%. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jonathan's making it almost like it was a Nancy issue. Right. Like, why didn't she show up? She literally had a job to do, sir. Interesting the choice that was made to to make a point to show them at school because mm-hmm. yeah that's I, that's why yeah i was just confused because i didn't realize why they would be at school on a saturday yes yes for the newspaper i'm pretty sure but you're right as a journalism person you are correct <laughs> all of my my many years of <laughs> journalism experience like as i mentioned where are lucas's parents why there's a killer on the loose and this kid is living in a frat house that's so true he's 14 yep where are his parents and it's not like this is something we've like 
Lucas's parents seem to be one of the more responsible ones. They do, and we don't see them until very later on. Yeah, like at the like town hall meeting. I don't think we see them. Great question. And do you think Jason's offer was sincere here? Like, you don't have to come? Yeah. Like, essentially letting Lucas off the... Hmm. I did think that it was sincere, because the more we watch this and realize that Jason has no idea who Lucas hangs out... Like, this is J- Jason... Lucas was a kid on the bench yeah. to Jason up until, like, two days ago, right? True. But I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. That's a really good question. I don't know if his offer was sincere. Yeah, I mean, I he at least did offer him to not come with them. And I do think that part of the offer was probably sincere. I don't know if he was like like sincere about the part like you'll still be one of us. Mm-hmm. But either way, I think Lucas yeah. did have the opportunity to say no. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't, I think, is like worth Mm-hmm. thinking twice about because he's given several opportunities to take an out here and he eventually does mm-hmm. but we do see him make poor decisions for yeah. most of this chapter we do who are these people to be dishing out punishment yeah i don't know vigilantes it's very collie like we have to i you, i'm gonna dole out punishment and it's my responsibility to do that yeah. and to right the wrong. It's like, no. When it's like very clear that the police are working on it. Sure. I mean, maybe not fast enough for Jason, but. Right. Still sheltering in Reefer Rick's boathouse, a panicked Eddie is startled by Robin, Dustin, Steve, and Max, who have returned with food. As Eddie chows down on a highly nutritious meal of honeycombs and yoo Dustin delivers some pretty bad news. Hawkins PD is definitely looking for him. Oh, and they're pretty convinced he killed Chrissy. Like, 100% convinced. The good news, though, is that his name hasn't gone public yet. Dustin insists that they need to find Vecna, kill him, and prove Eddie's innocence before the entire town decides to hunt the freak. Easy. Robin assures Eddie that they've all basically done this before, and Steve mentions how they usually rely on a girl with superpowers, but she is MIA. So they're more in the brainstorming phase, but there's totally nothing to worry about. As Eddie listens skeptically, sirens begin to wail nearby. Robin ushers Eddie back under the tarp, but the emergency vehicles rush past the boathouse. The song playing here is 100% convinced. Checks out. Yep. So I mentioned this to Marina in text. And I thought (laughs) I, I thought I had to mention it here. So we see Eddie eating the cereal honeycomb, which if you've never had it, it is delicious. So good. And I feel like they definitely used honeycomb cereal on purpose because Eddie kind of resembles one of the mascots that they've used. <laughs> However, I found that the mascot wasn't used until 1995. Oh, yes. okay. But, well, then he was the inspiration right? for it. <laughs> I still feel like I wanted to, to say it because um, if you've never seen this mascot, his name is Crazy Craving. That is his name. Mm-hmm. First name Crazy, last name Craving. And uh, in 1995, this mascot was introduced as a wild-haired, marsupial-like cartoon character who rapidly craves honeycomb cereal and whom children in the commercials transform into. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's, oh. its catchphrase was, me want honeycomb. The, the name Crazy Craving means that the character is the anthropomorphic. Is the, is the anthropomorphism of hunger. Well, that's like strangely deep. Right? Why does he have For so much For a cereal lore? mascot, he has so much lore. And, and real quick, if, if you don't know what he looks like, there he is. 
<laughs> and then you got to look at that next to Eddie. Horrifying. He is not okay. <laughs> I forgot that the people in the commercial transform into like I remember that piano keys. Yes. So scary. These were traumatizing. Were 90s serial mascots okay? No. They were all so scary for no reason. <laughs> Why were we so into them? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, that was literally the only note I had for this scene. So look up Crazy Craving if you're interested. I was just going to say on the note of food, couldn't they have brought him like Chinese food or like pizza, something nutritious, anything? Cereal. like? I, yeah, I just like, I don't know. Canned soup, perhaps? Wh- something with what microwave okay well he does go in the house later to make the raviolis although that was not a good idea yeah true very true yeah Yeah, i just i was like come on guys you couldn't have got this kid something a little bit better than cereal but maybe that's what he wanted maybe he was like i just want cereal and yoohoo better than hot dogs and yoohoo where is he keeping milk for cereal he wasn't using milk oh yeah that's right out of the box he was he was just eating it out of the box you're right (laughs) i just want to say that Dustin's high-pitched lines this season are always perfectly delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good. He just knows how to do that. And I love that all of these different social cliques have been forced together here. This is all... These are all people from very different regions of high school. Yes, yes. This is a good group of unlikely animal friends here. Perfect. Robin, Steve, Eddie, and then eventually Nancy. It's like not a single one of these people occupies the same space. No. Elsewhere, the police have found Fred's mutilated body in the middle of the road, his limbs snapped at odd angles, and his eyes bloody and missing. As the coroner covers up the grisly scene with a sheet, Callahan and Powell interrogate Nancy. She recounts the night before, mentioning how Fred was just gone, and she explains that there was nobody around. Nancy urgently asks Officer Daniels if he has looked into Victor Creel yet, but Powell assures her that he is locked away. She doesn't have to worry about him. As their questioning continues, Steve, Dustin, Robin, and Max pull up nearby to Nancy's noticeable relief. Where has Nancy been all night? Like, yeah, has she been out looking for Fred? Because it seems maybe it seems unlikely that she just went home. That doesn't seem like she Nancy. definitely didn't. She's in the same clothes. Oh, yeah, she is in the same clothes. Maybe she's just been there with the police all night. Which is wild because I don't know what time it is. It's got to be like 8 a.m. maybe. Yeah. She was just out. Like, what was she doing? The last time we saw her was when she ran up to Officer Daniels and was like, he's he's gone. And it was still like daylight-ish, right? Yeah, it was like, it was like dusk-ish. Yeah. When she said that. It was like, yeah. So hmm. it's just like, I was just trying to think like, where has she been all night? That's a great question. Because yeah, Nancy definitely did not go home. She's in the same clothes. And she wouldn't yep. anyway. No. So maybe she was at the station answering questions and then they brought her back to the crime scene that does seem weird yeah why would they bring her to yeah it seems like she was with them when they discovered him yeah or she went to the crime scene after realizing what happened i don't know yeah like a crowd gathered i don't know either very odd and yeah this scene just oh my god natalia's face acting is just so beautiful that that one look says so many things like wow i'm so happy to see you wow i'm so upset to see you thank god you're here oh my god please not don't be here because i know that that means something bad yes it's so much in a tiny little a tiny little facial expression Mm -hmm. and the song that's playing during this scene when she sees them pull up is scars from season two which references her and jonathan comparing scars 
Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting song choice for this moment between Nancy and Steve. Yeah, I I love that you always point those out because I do think they are relevant and significant. I think so. Yeah, I'm like because there's a lot of there's some synthy songs they could use. Sure, and they choose that one. Mm-hmm. Seems important. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not saying that her relief that we do see. And all the other emotions that we do see are directly related to Steve. I think this is more just like people I trust and know have appeared. Yes. You know, but like you said, these are also people that she associates with things going on. Yeah. So she knows that this is both a good thing and a bad thing, that they're right around the corner. Yes. Yeah. Well, back in California, Mike and Will are eating breakfast in silence as Jonathan tries to come up with ways to entertain them. Mike looks down solemnly at Ella's plate of untouched Eggos, catching the attention of Will. Jonathan suggests that they go see Police Academy 3, but Will says the movie is supposed to suck and insists that they just stay home today. Just then, Mike grabs Elle's plate and walks off, leaving Will alone at the table. They show a bunch of kids skateboarding outside of the buyer's house. Yeah, what? I just thought it was a cute little, like, Max reference because they're in California, which is where she came from. And then later, we see her memory of her at the skate park when she's a little girl. That's true. Yeah. And I guess they must live on, like, a pretty populated street or, like, a main road or something. Why are there so many children out here? A horde. I know. There's so many. But there is. Whatever. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't around in the 80s, so I don't know how people played outside. True. We didn't experience that. <laughs> we definitely play, we play, I played. Yeah, outside. I played outside, but not yeah. like in the street. <laughs> At 15 minutes and 36 seconds, I just wrote, Will's wig is wigging. It really. Oh, no. It really looks like a wig. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, I, I just happened to pause at that timestamp, 15 minutes and 36 seconds. And you can just oh. see like the shine on it that it's like clearly synthetic. Uh, well, I, I'm guessing their wigs are like real hair, but it just. It, you can tell it's, like, not his hair. It never clicks in my brain that this isn't their hair. I know. No, usually for me either. So it was, like, so odd to see this moment where I was like, mm, mm. that hair looks questionable. I feel like his stare here when Mike gets up could literally melt plastic. Yeah. I am uncomfortable. It, it, it looks like disdain. Like, it's, like, it's a nasty look. Yeah. Speaking of face acting, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I just think your skin could peel off looking like with him looking at you like it's not great no not good that was quite a look from noah very good Mm-hmm. jonathan cooked this whole breakfast he did because joyce isn't there right murray's not there murray's not there it looks like will is eating a vegetable omelet <laughs> okay mike has orange slices el gets egos el gets egos at least they're cooked this time <laughs> and not frozen yikes also jonathan uses the exact phrase that argyle used in the hellfire club are you just gonna mope around all break yeah oh that's short of saying yeah that's true yeah mm-hmm. he's taking his friend's advice and applying it to his brother yeah we love that all right oh boy okay mike knocks on Elle's door telling her that he made her egos did he did Great. he make her egos? i don't know maybe he did which, I mean, what does that take? Yeah, really. You just pop them in the toaster, I guess. Which are getting cold, but she ignores him, engrossed by fixing her D-Ryama. Mike lets himself in and compliments her project, but she continues to stay quiet. He sits on the edge of her bed and questions her. 
So um, are we just not going to talk about it? Eleven answers flatly. About what? Oh, I don't know. Just about you assaulting someone with a roller skate, maybe. (laughs) Elle insists that there is nothing to say, but Mike asks her why she hasn't been honest with him about what's been going on, considering he's not exactly Mr. Popularity back home either. Mike tells Elle that he knows what it's like to be bullied, but she denies this. No, you don't. Don't. Is that a contraction? Does she say a contraction? She does, yeah. Wow. She says a couple. She says it later at the police office, too. Okay. That's the police office. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah mike doesn't understand though as Elle continues to repair her project she tells mike i am different i do not belong Elle's door is open three inches yes it is as always this scene is just like so upsetting for so many reasons it's not that Elle is wrong or that her feelings are invalid but i think both of them are just communicating so poorly the way that Mike begins this conversation is already confrontational. Sure. Yes, it is. So are we just not going to talk about it? Like, what? what is that approach? Yeah, it's true. It's like, I do think this is one of the best conversations that this is like the most honest. I feel mm-hmm. like these two have been while also handling this very poorly. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's hard because we rag on Mike for not using his words. And then here, he does make the choice to use words. He tries. Albe confrontational ones. Right. He does take a step in the right direction. It's just his delivery is poor. Maybe his opening is poor. I think yeah. his delivery improves as the conversation goes on. Yes. But you're right. His, his opening is incredibly confrontational and not great. No. He knows that she's obviously shutting down. So that just seems like a bad way to start it off. Yeah. And I think, like, I do appreciate how he reminds her of his experience with bullies. And he kind of does give her this permission to be imperfect. Yeah. Like, I think we have to keep in mind that this is a standard that Elle is placing on herself, not one that Mike is placing on her. No. Yeah, and she's just terrified that he will not accept her as she is without her powers, and she feels just this desperate need to be perfect. But I also don't really know, and like you can obviously weigh in on this, I don't know how much of this is rooted in her fear of Mike not accepting her as much as it's rooted in like her lack of acceptance for herself. Hmm. Yeah, it's like, definitely a little both, I'd imagine. Sure. Like, is she maybe doing a little bit of projecting here? onto mike and onto their relationship like she can't accept herself in this state so why would somebody else accept her in this state this is true i don't know it's probably a little of both i think it's some projecting that she feels inadequate in herself Mm. and she Mm -hmm. feels very lost because she doesn't have powers right so it's very difficult for her to fathom that somebody would like her let alone love her in this state and Mm -hmm. then Mike's refusal to actually say the words to her are just sending her over the edge, I think. Yeah, it's just like adding insult to injury. Yeah. I also think this gives us some insight into the fact that their closeness only goes so far. Yeah. But I mean, the irony of this whole thing is, and I think we talked about this in the Malevin episode, is that like she feels even more othered now without her powers, despite being at her most ordinary. Yes. And she she craves this, like, normalcy and stuff. But then when she actually gets it, she hates it. She doesn't know what to do with herself. Like, 
she's a conundrum and it's unfortunate because i think that had she had the opportunity to grow up in a normal environment she would have discovered other things that she is good at or enjoys that would help round her out as a human being but that's like literally all she knows yeah and you're so right when you say that that's like kind of also all she defines that's all she uses to define her worth yeah like she can't even make a visual aid you know yeah poor girl poor l her identity is fragmenting now emotional she explains that everyone looks at her like she's a monster he thinks she's a monster too mike who is clearly taken aback continues to listen to l yesterday the way you looked at me you were scared of me he brazenly denies this saying he was just surprised and maybe a little upset it was so crazy it happened so fast mike proceeds to tell l that he cares for her so much but l gets hung up on the word care you don't love me anymore she tells mike that he never says it in fact he can't even write it l grabs all of mike's letters from mike from mike from mike from from Mike urgently reminds Elle what he thinks about her. You're the most incredible person in the world, and you can't let those mouth breathers ruin you. Ruin us. They're nobodies, and you are a superhero. Eleven continues to tear up. Not anymore. You made a good point about this earlier, about saying how, like, nobody is judging her for her actions at Rinkomania. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Right. And I think, like, she makes an incredible generalization here, saying everyone looks at her like she's a monster. No, maybe they looked at you like that after you assaulted someone. Sure. But then after that, everybody kind of just went on with their day and in fact tried to comfort you. Yeah. She's seeing what she wants to see. She's not seeing what's actually in front of her. Yeah. And it's and it's I was going to say, too, like, that's also such a testament to her needing like these specific words of affirmation yeah but even so like people are telling her like it's gonna be fine she's gonna be okay but like she's not really listening although maybe if mike didn't give his little snark last night then maybe she would listen and actually like believe what people are saying to her because if she's not getting that the mike being like she didn't look fine right because if yeah if mike is reacting like that that's the person's opinion she cares about the most exactly so she's just applying it's a broad brush yeah Hmm. like if mike the person that whose opinion she trusts the most and cares about the most is viewing her in this way then how are other people not right that's a good point i don't know something about this just this whole conversation just really rubs me the wrong way it's like i don't know the end when he's like we can't let these mouth breathers ruin you ruin us it feels really like theatrical (laughs) (laughs) ruin us yeah i see what you're saying I I struggle with this because, like, this feels far more authentic than the end where he's professing his love to her when she's in the mind void. Like, this and the scene between them when she's being arrested, to me, feels like some of our, like, most authentic Malevin of season four, which doesn't say much because, to your point, like, this does have a theatrical component to it. It does. I am seriously wondering, though, if... And, and we again, we said this in the Malevin episode, and repeatedly, these two were endearing to watch as puppy love. Yes. But do, is their love and, and watching it sustaining into their adolescence, do we feel the same way about them? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of seems like they're just not growing apart, but growing differently. Although, 
I'm trying to remember like our relationships at 14. There, there is a bit of theatrics. They're totally... Amanda. Yeah. When I was... Okay, so do you remember my mom's apartment and when you walk in, there was just like that little like area with the carpet and then yeah. you go to the... Re- okay. I don't know what night it was, what event, but I had thrown myself onto <laughs> the rug and my mother came out and was like, what happened? And I was like... Redacted. It's with Amanda now. <laughs> like I had like gone full Juliet and like... <laughs> So like yes <laughs> marina was busy on her fainting couch <laughs> literally that was me I was no, like, oh. like yeah i had a few moments like that at 14 as well and and beyond probably yeah <laughs> so and so i think you know to your point they are how old they are right that's very true yes there are some theatrics but if you've ever been 14 and dated someone there are theatrics and also too like in mike's defense here how safe could he feel admitting his love for this person at this point who has disappeared on him twice? Yeah. Like, why would he want to make that commitment? How safe could he feel doing that? Maybe the furthest he can go is I care. Yeah, that's a great point, too. I mean, this poor kid probably has separation anxiety at this point. Yeah, he's allowed to protect his heart, I think. That's so true. That's so valid. And you know what? Like, I mean, yeah, of course, again, they're very young, but... Mike has shown her in many ways that he loves. I mean, he came here by himself at 14 on a plane. Picked those flowers. Yeah. He, he brings her the egg. Like, he is not... I know we say the love the love languages are pseudoscience but these two are just a perfect example of competing love languages. Yes. He is an acts of service guy, and she needs words. Yes. Yes, and a gifts guy, and she apparently hates that. Yeah, because she's been given plants in places where they cannot grow. Yes. Empty gestures. Yes. Somebody get Elle a counselor. That is an excellent point. Why isn't Elle seeing a school counselor? That's a, yeah, I don't know. I mean, at the point that Joyce brought Will to Owens on a weekly basis, theoretically. like That is such a good point. Why has no one given this girl a therapy? Her dad is dead. All, yeah hello also, but like could you imagine like unpacking her trauma and well you see uh miss kelly well <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine therapy might be kind of hard for her because she's gonna have to lie yeah and, and then what good is the therapeutic environment right <laughs> if you're not i mean i guess it would be helpful at least just to get through the death of her dad and like the bullying and everything yeah but it's all connected so it's kind of hard to lie in therapy Right. And it's interesting that we see Max get that outlet and we don't see Elle get it. And funny enough, that is exactly what Elle is doing, or with what Max is doing with her outlet. She's lying, so no wonder yes, it's not helping. so true. So true. Yeah. In the living room, Jonathan and Will are lounging around reading the newspaper and watching cartoons when the doorbell rings. Jonathan answers it to find two police officers looking for Jane Hopper, whoever that is. He tells the police that he is Jane's stepbrother as Will, Mike, and Elle eavesdrop from the inside. The officers explain that they have a warrant for Elle's arrest because of the roller skate attack, and they slap some cuffs on her. As they read her, her Miranda writes, Will, Mike, and Jonathan look on in disbelief. The police escort Elle to the squad car flanked by Jonathan and Mike, who are adamantly protesting. As Elle is placed in the back seat of the police car, Mike promises that everything is going to be fine. He's going to fix this, okay? 
Remember what I said earlier about how it felt safe? I remember thinking that we were clear of the consequences of the Rinkomania incident. Me too. Me too. I was like, is this going to come back to bite her? And then it didn't immediately. So I was like, oh. Yeah. That must have really just been a blip. 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 Yeah. I agree. I really, I was like shocked by this. And I think they did a good job of kind of making us forget it for a second. Yeah, they did. I Googled California law because I wasn't sure if police. I had the same. Please tell me. (laughs) I had this question. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if police could search your home with just an arrest warrant or if they'd also need a search warrant. It says they can enter the residence of the suspect to carry out an arrest warrant. But if the suspect was a guest in someone else's home, they would need a search warrant also. Yeah. So technically they could have gone into the home if L didn't exit. Okay. So you had a question that was different from the one that I had. Mine was... I don't think they're supposed to take minors into custody without a parent present. Hmm. Interesting. I don't, Maybe for a violent crime it's different. I'm not sure. But it kind of feels like they're not supposed to do that, um, let alone not even tell you where they're taking her. Yeah. This says, can a minor be questioned without a parent present in California? In California, the police may generally question minors without their parents' consent. But questioning is different. If the police arrest your minor child for committing a crime in California, police are endowed with certain power to decide how to handle the child and where they end up upon arrest. The officer may record the arrest and release your child to go home, send the child to an agency that will care for and counsel them. Eh. That doesn't doesn't really give me an answer. So who knows? I mean, it was the 80s, so. Yeah, that's also true. Like the laws that we look up, I'm not looking up 86. Right. So I'm sure things have changed since then, but. Yeah, that struck me as odd that they were like, oh, is your parent home? No. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're taking her anyway, and we're not going to tell you where. It's a secret. Right. And also, I think it's hard for us to see her stripped down here. Like, she really is vulnerable. She has no powers. She doesn't even have free use of her hands. This is, like, her lowest low. And it's weird for us as the audience to see our hero like this. Yeah. And I think Mike, we, we are shown Mike here specifically, and he, he good face acting. Yeah, There's a lot of it going on. I think she's his hero too, and he, here she is in handcuffs being led away. And then he immediately assumes the role of rescuer. Like, he kind of jumps into gear, which is what I said. This feels like some of the most authentic Malevin we've seen because... This is like November 1983 again. This Mm -hmm. is like, you come here, I shelter you. Yes. And he can't do it, and he immediately feels the urge to make it right for her. Which is so, like, again, indicative that he does love her, but he just can't say it. But if if he didn't care, he would be like, oh, well, Elle's in jail, nothing we could do. Right. And I think maybe what... 11 struggles with here isn't the fact that mike cares or loves her i think it's why what is it the root of this is it like the fact that you think i'm the most incredible amazing person or is it because i'm just me and do you love me with or without powers and Mm -hmm. maybe i'm not a superhero and would that be okay with you right is that enough for you yep well on on a completely different note from all of this i googled the ewoks the cartoon Ooh. that they're watching. <laughs> yeah. And this was a Star Wars animated spinoff. 
series, which aired on ABC from September 7th, 1985 to December 13th, 1986. Nice. Yeah. So it was a really, really short-lived little spinoff. It only had Mm -hmm. two seasons, but here they are watching it, and the time lines up. They were good about that this season, because wasn't there the show in the previous episode that was on in Max's trailer that only had, like, a one-season run? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Just one last note. Elle and Hopper are both officially prisoners together in two very different parts of the world. Aww. So, like 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 father, father, like daughter. daughter. (laughs) So sweet. Wow. We love (laughs) carrying on family (laughs) traditions or whatever. (laughs) Oh, my God. So cute. As Joyce and Murray prepare for takeoff, now on board their flight to Alaska... Joyce anxiously laments to Murray about lying to the kids. Maybe she should have just told them about Hopper. Murray assures her that she did the right thing, the responsible thing. He reminds Joyce that her children like to get involved. And this way, they'll stay out of trouble and play too much Nintendo, drink some beer, smoke some pot, and experiment sexually instead. Oh, good. (laughs) What could go wrong? The flight attendant comes around to remind Joyce to buckle up. She scoffs, like this is really going to save her if they crash. (laughs) <laughs> love the little tongue-in-cheek oh, joke yeah. there yes. about crashing a plane. I actually didn't make that connection, and I wrote it as a note because Eli goes, is that foreshadowing? I was like, oh, yeah. shit, it definitely it is. It totally is. <laughs> I forgot about that. 100%. Yeah. I'm just here to say that planes have gotten worse. <laughs> Look how nice this plane... I mean, come on. This is like a frontier flight, obviously, because they're going to, like, no man's land. So, obviously, this is not any sort of, like, private jet, first class type of situation. Look at those seats. Yeah, this plane is nice. And that stewardess is far too attentive. She really is. (laughs) She needs to mind her business. (laughs) Get out of here, woman. She has no idea what's going on. No, she does not. And good for her. Thank God for her. Yeah, Yeah, it's true true i wish i wish i was that blissfully unaware of just everything honestly i sometimes think like having critical thinking skills is a is a curse it is a curse yeah come on so annoying so Um, what do we think the kids would have done if joyce was honest with them they would have gone to alaska i think l would have been like put me on a plane right now i'm going to Alaska. yeah yeah she would have found her way to alaska yep a hundred percent Um, Would have made this very sticky situation much stickier. Even stickier, yes. Because what would they have done once they got there? Probably have been captured. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing good. And again, I'm here to say that Joyce's hair has never looked better than in this season. Oh my God. She looks so good. Amazing. Oh my God. The hair. Winona looks incredible this entire season. Yeah, she she does. She's getting younger. She is. She is. Which like, considering everything she's been through... You'd think she would be getting older. She has not one gray hair. She looks amazing. So beautiful. And we were just saying this, but the girl playing her in Foreshadow looks just like her. It's wild. Yeah. It's very cute. She really does look like a young Winona Ryder. It's awesome. Isabella Pappas. The song playing here is Welcome to Kamchatka. Ooh, fun. It's very, like, industrial. Yeah. It's not as good as Musso, though. No. (laughs) never the opinions that we have for no reason (laughs) don't be silly (laughs) can't be as good as this ridiculous 
In the blustery and snowy Kamchatka, Hopper and his fellow prisoners lay railroad tracks as Enzo, whose actual name is Dmitry Antonov, patrols nearby. He approaches Hopper and taunts him, speaking Russian. What's taking you this long? Are you tired today? Hopper retaliates, calling Dmitry a pig and an asshole, and he spits at his feet. And yes, Marina is making the little hand binoculars because Dmitry is a beautiful man. <laughs> Dmitry rushes Hopper and pins him against a nearby pile of wood. <laughs> <laughs> Not us putting on the binoculars better. I need extra zoom. I'm zooming. <laughs> You're putting on the binoculars better. Yes. I'm fixing my focus. Anyway, Dimitri rushes Hopper and pins him against a nearby pile of wood. Out Ooh, of sight. I didn't read smut a man. <laughs> nope. Sorry. <laughs> Out of sight from the rest of the prisoners and the guards. Ending the ruse, Dimitri reports that he has news from America. I heard from your friends. They're bringing your money to Alaska. He explains that if his pilot gets the money, he will bring a plane tomorrow, making it possible for Hopper to escape. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Concerned for Joyce, Hopper asks Dimitri if the pilot is trustworthy, but he explains that Yuri Ismailov, the pilot, is a smuggler of American goods. Cigarettes, peanut butter, Playboy, all of America's finest wares. Dimitri promises that Joyce will be safe, and he reminds Hop that it is imperative for him to be on the plane tomorrow, so he better have a plan, and he better get it right. Oh, also, he punches Hop in the face to keep up appearances. To be fair, he does ask where he wants the punch. He does. It's very nice. It's great. Are we allowed to say that we ship Dimitri and Hopper? <laughs> okay, so it is a non-canon ship, so we're breaking our own rules a little bit. But, okay, I don't ship them, but, like, I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah, and I think the question that we all need to ask ourselves when we have these conversations about canon and non-canon ships is why are we shipping this pair any pair and that's just what i'm gonna leave you with because i think your answer to that question should tell you if the ship is for the characters (laughs) or for you yeah that's a yeah this one's for me (laughs) same this one's totally for me this has nothing to do with them this one's for me yep i mean they're two beautiful men come on now look at them I have looked at them. They're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) With my binoculars. Yes. Also, if you held a gun to my head and asked me if Dimitri had a mustache before I rewatched the scene yesterday, I would be dead because I would have told you he did not. And he does. What is a Mandela effect? Yeah. There's a mustache. He has a mustache. It is blonde. That's why you can't tell because he's blonde haired and blue blue eyed. So you can't really see his mustache, but it is there. But like nobody's looking to know. That he has blonde hair and blue eyed and a blonde mustache and I mean I am, so I'm being, I'm being <laughs> Nobody's looking at him. Nobody. Nobody would right. take a, lo- a prolonged look at that man. <laughs> and uh I I asked Eli what he thought of Hopper's Russian. Oh. And here's a quote. Not the worst. Okay. I like that quote. That sounds yes. like a quote from Eli. It does. Like you would put it in quotes, but you would look at it and be like, that doesn't really need to be in quotes. I know. <laughs> but like, not the worst. Not the worst. He also said that when the other guard comes over and tells them like, or like yells at them or whatever, um, the thing that he mumbles under his breath is something like, hurry up. Oh, okay. I appreciate this. We have an in-house translator. We do. It's great. Yeah. This plan feels impossible. 
Just oh, want to say yeah, that. Of course. The plan is for Joyce to deliver money to Yuri. She is in California. She has to go to Alaska. She has to bring Yuri the money. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to fly this plane to Kamchatka and Hopper has to get to the plane, but he has no means of getting out of the prison. No. He has to figure that out on his own. Yeah. Like so much has to go right. And it doesn't. We know that. Right. Which is great because if it did, that would be a problem. I would be like, this writing is garbage, but like so much has to go right here. Yes, absolutely. There are so many factors here and it's something that you can't really plan for. He can't be like, all right, so then another guard's going to come in and I'm going to shoot them and right. then the whole thing's going to explode and I'm going to steal a snowmobile. Like, he can't plan no, no, for no. that. There's, I, my foot is broken. I'm running through right. the snow, but it doesn't matter because it's cold, so I don't feel the pain in the foot. Is that what it is? But it also works totally fine, even though my ankle's broke. Like, yeah, there's a lot of questions about there that. We're just going to, we'll, we'll get, get there, there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great scene. Great. Love that scene. It's great. Me too. Back in Hawkins, Nancy, Robin, Steve, Dustin, and Max have convened at the trailer park to discuss the murders. What? So many people all the time. (laughs) I know. It's like a huge group at all times. Uh, Well, they discuss the murders and their relation to the Upside Down. Dustin explains that their working theory is that Vecna attacks with a spell or a curse from the Upside Down. And he expresses confusion about if Vecna is doing the bidding of the Mind Flayer or if he just loves killing teens for no reason. Nancy declares that Fred and Chrissy's murders don't make sense, though. Why them? Dustin posits that it could be because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and Max recalls that they were both at the basketball game and at the trailer park. Maybe they shouldn't be at the trailer park? (laughs) Oops. Nancy recalls that Fred began to act scared on edge and upset the second they got to the trailer park, and Max remembers Chrissy crying in the school bathroom. Robin compares Vecman, I mean Vecna, to a serial killer, saying that they usually stalk their prey before they strike, which, by the way, what? It's like, no, they don't. Maybe true sometimes. Yeah, not usually. Of, like, Michael Myers. Right, like a fake serial killer, maybe. (laughs) But whatever. Um, Saying that they usually stalk their prey before they strike, and Steve comments on how he'd probably have told somebody if he saw some freaky wizard monster. Max recounts how she saw Chrissy leaving Miss Kelly's office. Maybe she did tell someone. I just need to say, and I wanted to say it up up at the top when this came up, I am so glad that we got the clarity from the first shadow before going too deep into season four. Me too. I am so grateful. <laughs> I am so grateful. This it, The timing was like, mwah, chef's kiss. Amazing. Yes. Do you know how much time... That is going to save us sitting here rambling about who is the big bad. You're welcome. Yeah, we <laughs> we can now spend all of this time rambling about other shit. And how the mind flayer is our guy. He's, He's our guy. the king. He is the king. He is the king. So now we can watch season four through the correct lens and not the speculative lens. And we can read into all of Vecna's absolute nonsense nonsense (laughs) (laughs) okay i didn't record the timestamp. i should have but i was laughing too hard but when steve goes where at the trailer park there's like this (laughs) bass drop (laughs) yes and like a zoom out and it it made me laugh out loud i had to watch it several times because it made me laugh and it's like that much funnier because it's completely irrelevant. I know. Like, nothing's <laughs> like, going to happen. No, nothing. It's not about the trailer park. No, it has nothing to do with the trailer 
it's it, yeah it's it's funny it's good i know it happens again later which i will bring up but it's pretty funny but yeah it's like boom We're yeah the trailer park. <laughs> okay i also wrote like i mean we know that like the trailer park wasn't always important but is it yeah. just important now because a gate is opening because it just so happens to be where Chrissy was killed? And so now, like, the concentration is going to be closer there? Or is it just close to the Creel house? That's a good question. And I think that this is just where Chrissy was. Yeah, I think it just is where she happened to die. Yeah, because there would be no way for Vecna to manipulate where his victims were going to be. That's true. Right? I mean, I guess there is, though, because he gave Fred all those visions that he was literally walking through. And so they led him out to the road. But Chrissy stands still and she just ends up there because that's where she is. That's true. So, like, unless Vecna could forecast that Chrissy was going to buy drugs from Eddie Munson after never having previously associated with... I I don't know. Yeah, who knows? It feels random. We don't really know what his full, like, abilities are in terms of, like, foresight or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. I mean, there's there's an implication that he might be able to time travel or see into the future or past. We don't know. Yeah. We don't um, know yet. But we'll find out. The song playing here is stuck in 1983. Nice. I was looking for it. I couldn't. On the wiki, it was like very ambiguous. Yeah. The five set off, but Nancy begins to go her own way, alerting Steve. She insists that she doesn't want to waste their time with her hunch, but Steve insists that she needs to go with someone... Never mind. He tosses his keys to Robin, planning to go with Nancy, but Robin can't drive, and neither can Max or Dustin, technically. Legally. To Steve's dismay, Robin offers to go with Nancy instead, while Steve accompanies Max and Dustin to Miss Kelly's. As the two ladies walk away, Steve shouts after them to be careful, and Dustin teases Steve for gawking at Nancy. Our gang splits up, and we get a glimpse inside of the Munson trailer where a fissure has begun to form in the ceiling where Chrissy was killed. No big deal. At the scene when it came up on the TV, I was like, um, you, you done sprung a leak or something in your ceiling? <laughs> Y'all got any tape for that or <laughs> some caulk? Looks like a problem. Uh, yeah. I, oh, I see. I, I see the problem here. You got a big old hole in your ceiling. <laughs> maybe get rid of that. It's a leak. <laughs> um, Robin not having a license because she's poor is relatable. Right. <laughs> I love that they added that in there. I love I that. This is this is a good a good scene too, but like showing the dynamics of these these people. Yes. Like so, different worlds. Totally. And and I just have to ask, where did Gayton and Joe get this chemistry that they have? It feels so that they just act this way with or without a script. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like when Dustin gets in the car and Steve is like wipe your feet. And Dustin wipes them on the mat, and Steve is like, on the outside, not the inside. It's so cute. <laughs> I, I wrote that. I, I actually never noticed him wiping his feet in the car before. And you see him like he's like going off to the side and like rubbing his foot inside the car with the other foot still outside the car. <laughs> he's such a smart ass. I know. I love him. And I just wrote, always the goddamn babysitter. Always the goddamn babysitter. I just wanted to ask, and I don't think you know, but why is there a delay in the fissure opening? Oh, yeah. It's been like 48 hours. That's true. Like, Maybe why not just immediately? Waiting for everybody to leave? Oh. I don't okay. know. It's <laughs> my suggestion. I don't know. That sounds right. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> Nancy Meanwhile, has good face acting here. Oh, yes, she does. Natalia has very good, like, when Steve 
goes to almost propose that he go with her because she needs to be kept safe. Like her eyebrows just slightly go up and she's like, what were you going to say? What was that? Didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in the Upside Down, the Demobats are having a rave as Vecna levitates in his attic just like Dua Lipa with the baby. He growls and, (laughs) you know, Dua Lipa with the baby. With the baby. With the baby. In the fireplace. They're in li- the cradle. Not that one. Oh, no. No, duh, baby. Not the baby. Oh. He growls and, quote unquote, descends into a mental plane where he can see and hear the innermost darkness of Hawkins' residence. Thanks, Stranger Things Wiki, for that quote. In a red haze, we hear the inner dialogues of several individuals, some in abusive relationships, others dealing with illnesses. Vecna hones in on Patrick, who is being verbally abused by his father. As Jason escorts them to find Eddie, a high-pitched ringing hits Patrick's ears and his nose begins to bleed. All I really did here was list the traumas that we are shown in his Rolodex, Vecnadex. A child being fat-shamed. Mm-hmm. A young woman panicking about her boyfriend leaving her if she rejects his physical advances. A man worrying about a cough that he's suffering from. Mm-hmm. An elderly woman worrying that she's going to be sent to a nursing home, it seems. Yeah. A woman who is covering up evidence of physical abuse mm-hmm. by telling people that she fell, she just slipped again. And finally, Vecna lands on Patrick. It sounds like his dad is berating him for drinking, and he's calling him an embarrassment to their family, a goddamn disgrace. Hmm. I wondered about why Patrick. Yeah, why not one of the other people? So here's the theory I just randomly came up with last night. Patrick is seemingly the youngest, other than the first girl, I guess. That alone, I felt like, was something, like maybe doing something that would be more impactful in the world grants him more power that he takes away from from the exchange like the more sadness that he causes the worse or like the more power he absorbs i don't know interesting yeah i thought that maybe i I don't know that was like really my only guess just that he's one of the youngest so it would be one of the more shocking right and tragic of the deaths of you know the options that he had but i have no idea maybe he just really likes teenagers specifically and also i think this raises that weird question again is like is there a connection between ms kelly and vecna that it just so happens that the people that vecna is choosing are patients of ms kelly was patrick seeing her too i would have to go back and watch the end of this chapter which i will because we're gonna do chapter part two Mm -hmm. but i know that fred was and chrissy was yeah i would love to look in the filing cabinet closer and see if patrick's name is there yeah we can definitely look because yeah that's interesting i know that there's like some theories floating around now about like the first shadow and like patty newbie being miss kelly something like that okay i don't know about that i don't know either and i just have to share this really silly thing that eli and i were talking about last night while watching this i don't know why but we decided to see what the likelihood of being killed by Vecna is. We were like, all right, so Vecna only has like these four victims, right? What about something like that normal people die from, like like heart disease? You know, like how many people die a year from heart disease? So it's about it's around 695,000 and only four people a year die from Vecna. So heart disease is actually about 173,000 times more dangerous than Vecna is. Oh. (laughs) So make sure you go to the doctor, everybody. I wouldn't have known what to do without this stat. 
I know. It's very important to know. So we we <laughs> thought we'd share. <laughs> Where on the CDC's list of death yeah. causes does Vecna land here? Pretty low. So Pretty low. Don't be afraid of him. He's not that scary because he doesn't kill that many people. Heart disease is much scarier than Vecna. Yeah. He's like getting hit by lightning, if not even less of a high chance. Yeah. You'll be fine. Plus, you don't live in Hawkins. That's true. So. That's a big part of it. As it long is. as you don't live in Hawkins, which doesn't exist. So I think we're all good. We're all safe. <laughs> Jason, Andy, Patrick, and Lucas pull up in front of a house where Eddie's friends are having a band practice in the garage. Jeff, Gareth, and Doug notice the four approaching and abruptly stop playing. Jason tells them that they're looking for Eddie, but Gareth spots Lucas and asks him what he's doing with these douchebags. To save face, Lucas claims that he knows them through Erica, and he tells Jason that they always try to recruit him to their club or cult. Gareth tells Jason that Eddie is clearly not here, earning him a quick punch to the jaw, and a tussle ensues. Jason tosses Gareth into the drum set as Patrick and Andy hold Doug, hold off Doug and Jeff. Lucas watches nervously and Jason pins Gareth down, threatening to break his hand if he doesn't give up Eddie's location. Out of desperation, Gareth shouts Dustin's name, telling Jason that Dustin was looking for Eddie and might have found him. This is like way too many peripheral characters in one scene. <laughs> yeah. Are we even watching Stranger Who Things are these anywhere? <laughs> Jeff, Gareth, Doug, Andy, Jason, and Patrick. Like, I know none of these people. Lucas is the only one grounding us back to the Stranger Things reality. Seriously, if Lucas wasn't here, this this could be like Teen Wolf or something. Right. <laughs> it could be because Mason Die is in Teen Wolf. True. Wow. That was not on purpose. Wow, yeah. It could be. Yeah, pretty weird. What a strange group of people. So many names, too. Gareth, Jeff. And who are these people? Doug. Doug. They look like mirror images of all of each other, too. They kind of do. It's, we it's weird. Yeah, this scene is just so, like, it's too much. It's too much. It is. I do appreciate it because I think it's finally Lucas realizing, like, oh, shit, I'm in too deep here. Like, yeah, this is this is not what I signed up for. Right. I think it's when Andy gives up Dustin's name that Lucas is like, oh. Yeah. And yeah. he wants to switch gears. And you're right. He's in too deep. And I I had to wonder if Lucas trying to, like, wink at the other guys when he's mm. like, we just need to find Eddie. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of felt like that was him being like, I'm not really with these people. His face falls mm -hmm. when um, Jeff looks at him and is like, what? Yeah. what are you doing? So I agree with you. Jason resorting to violence here reminds me a little bit of like this recurrent issue of torture this season because mm -hmm. it, it feels maybe a little exaggerated, but he does kind of hold his hand or his foot down on Gar Gareth's hand and like makes it like, I will make it impossible for you to ever play that drum set again. Like he really does kind of use torture and duress here to get what he wants to wow. interrogate these people. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Back in California, Eleven is being questioned by the police about the roller skate attack in a closed-off interrogation room. The officers ask Elle why she hit Angela, and Elle tells them she doesn't know. Dissatisfied with this response, the cop tells Elle that Angela suffered a grade 2 concussion, which we all totally know what that means, and he proceeds to ask her if she wanted to kill Angela. Again, Elle says she doesn't know. As the cops continue their in interrogation, Elle has various flashbacks, some of the incident at Rinkomania and others of the massacre at the lab. 
Someone get this child a lawyer. Seriously, what is this line of questioning of a minor? I, I don't know. And like there's so many missed opportunities to get Elle somebody to support her. Like even between like we were saying about the council, like now she needs she needs legal representation. Yes, she does. And she she's saying too much. Right, she doesn't know that she can ask for it. Right. It's so true. I also just googled grade 2 concussion. Oh. This is according to the University of Wisconsin. It says, grade one adds a dazed feeling lasting less than a minute. In a grade two concussion, the cloudy senses last longer. The patient may have dizziness, amnesia, confusion, ringing in the ears, and or irritability. Oh, great. She's going to be even more irritable. Oh, good. <laughs> That's a grade okay. two concussion. Wow. So she has a good grade two. Good to know. Two. Yeah. I feel sad for Elle here. Her affect is pretty flat, which I do think kind of does speak to her mental state. Mm-hmm. Like she's literally sitting here having flashbacks as she's sitting here. And we have to remember she's also in an enclosed room, which mm. cannot be good for her PTSD. Yeah, and it this room is so similar to the rooms at Hawkins Lab, like where we yep. see Ten and Brenner. Like it's a very similar room. And she's trapped by these two men in uniform. Yep. Wow, I never thought I didn't think of that. I didn't either until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that can't be good for her mental state right now right Ooh. last scene for part one of the monster and the superhero jonathan will and mike arrive at the police station looking for l the woman at the desk tells the boys that l is being processed l receives her mugshot is fingerprinted and she will be transferred to juvenile hall exasperated mike objects jail you're gonna put her in jail we watch as l is escorted out of the police station and into the back of a van arms cuffed behind her back Jonathan asks if it's possible for them to at least see her, but they're not parents or guardians, so no. As the boys exit the station, Mike spots the van transporting Elle. He runs into the road after it, and the pair catch a glimpse of one another as the van drives off. Amanda was this for Halloween last year. Oh yeah, I was. <laughs> she was Elle With my in her mugshot. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I got everything for that outfit from, from Goodwill, and I thought it was a pretty decent match. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty good. <laughs> Still confused about how she gets arrested and carted off to jail without a parent or guardian even being aware of what's happening. Even knowing what's going on. No. But okay. I did I did like speaking of parents or guardians and the lack of them, I did like Will kind of snapping into action here though and being like, We're her brothers and yeah. we're family. Like that was a nice refreshing change. <laughs> not not only in terms of like action from Will, but also in terms of like how he thinks of Eleven. Yeah. Um, it was nice to see him clearly caring. Yes. Yes, I Cause, agree. Because if you think about it, like, this would solve a lot of his problems. If it El, would. If Elle just kind of disappeared. Ooh, and we don't like to think of Will that way. No. No, of yeah. course not. But, like, yeah, I mean, you know, she'd be out of the picture. Ooh. El, Mike wouldn't have her anymore, like, as a distraction. So this would only stand to benefit him. If Will, for some reason, was, like, anakin Mm-hmm. In season five, do you think he would have a motive of getting rid of Elle? I don't know. Like, okay. uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, maybe. But it's hard to say because yeah. he clearly loves Mike. And I don't think he would want to hurt Mike in that way if it really yeah. came down to it. Right. So Interesting. But that's it's an interesting thought. I just want to bring it back to a point made in, in the Malevin episode again about how... Mike is always on the other side of Elle's imprisonments. Yeah. So when she escapes the lab in season one, he takes her in 
And in season two, Hop has her locked up in his cabin for how many days? And when she finally escapes, it's to find Mike. Mm -hmm. So she really does associate him with freedom. And I think this is a good visual of that where we see her literally detained and cuffed in the back of a van. And on the other side of that door is Mike standing in the street. And they, they like make that eye contact. Yeah. And I think we talked earlier about how Mike snaps into like rescuer mode. And he feels responsible for freeing Elle because I think he kind of thinks that's what he's done. But I don't really think Elle realizes that she's always been the one to free herself. Like she escaped the lab. She disobeyed Hopper's rules and left the cab. And like she's always been the one to get herself out of these situations, even though Mike has been on the other side of them. Yeah. That's go L. Yeah, go L. She's stronger than she knows. And she I think is. that that's a major theme of her figuring that out by the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. Sort of. She's still struggling, but. And the track here is mugshot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mugshot, I, which I, I forgot the word for. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> picture they take when you get arrested i literally when i was writing this forgot the word for mugshot so i googled <laughs> picture you take when you get arrested <laughs> and it was like in jail you will receive your mugshot i was like oh my god there it thank is. you there's that word <laughs> well all right well that is all we got for part one of the monster and the superhero and we will be back next week with part two so for now, let us wrap it up with our MVP and LVP. Who did you put for MVP? This might be a controversial decision. Okay. And you might completely disagree with me. I'm ready. But I want to give my MVP to Mike this, this <laughs> part. <laughs> I definitely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I just, you know, this is, this is what he gets for doing the bare minimum. And then the second he does even something slightly productive, I'm like, wow, what a guy. The bar is on the floor, people. The bar is on the floor. <laughs> I just, I, again, delivery, poor. But I really appreciate his attempt to communicate with Elle. And I do appreciate that he gives her that space to be imperfect. And he does try to reassure her of how he feels about her, even though she's not hearing it. And I do I do also appreciate the little callback to, I think, the Mike Wheeler that we saw in season, season one, when he's like, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to fix this. Like, yeah. that just felt like true Mike Wheeler to me. And it was nice to see him snap into action yeah that's true that part of mike i definitely appreciated <laughs> in this episode um, how about you i put murray I, nice yeah i thought he was a great mvp for this episode because he really number one kept us grounded in reality throughout yeah. some of the more silly scenes but also added some comic relief mm -hmm. and he is also here he does not need to be here he does not need to be helping joyce with this so true he sprang into action, came all the way to California, and is going on this death mission with Joyce. He didn't need to do any of that. So he is very supportive of her and this family in general and Hopper, of course. So I appreciate Murray for this episode because he really gave us that comic relief we needed and also the support that poor Joyce needs. I love that. That's a really good MVP. Thanks. A Murray valuable player. That's him. <laughs> or a mic belly. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Terrible anyway, jokes. Who did you put for LVP? So I think I have to give LVP for part one of this chapter to Lucas. Oh, all right. Because I think that 
Remember how we were talking a little bit about how everybody's got these two sides and they can both exist at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think we see Lucas's dark side a little bit here and like a giving in to temptation type of thing. You yeah. see it kind of win out his trying to maintain a social hierarchy mm-hmm. despite the stakes of in this context, maintaining the social hierarchy. I also don't like that he keeps using Erica as a scapegoat. Yeah, like, <laughs> what the hell? You don't know these people through Erica, Lucas. Um, and I think his decision to help, and ultimately he does the right thing again at the end of this chapter, we see it. But I think it gets them as far as it gets them, his decision to help. Like mm-hmm. they wouldn't know where to find them rehearsing if it wasn't for Lucas. That's true. And, like, they end up in Dustin's house. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, that is very scary. And and his constant deferral to Erica can also put her in danger. So true. He's not thinking. Mm-hmm. No. Who did you put? <laughs> Michael Vincent Wheeler. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just didn't like his tone with Elle. I felt like he was being very dismissive. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I didn't like his the way that he went about that conversation with her mm-hmm. I felt like he definitely was being very like unself aware about the fact that he was basically telling her like I only love you because you're extraordinary and now yeah like in her head she doesn't think she is anymore so obviously she thinks he doesn't love her anymore so I don't know I just felt like he handled all of that very poorly and I like that he does spring into action once she gets arrested mm-hmm but I also have to wonder what his motivations for that are too. Like, So interesting. Is it because he really does genuinely love her? Is it because he feels like he needs to save the day? I don't know. Yeah. So hmm. I don't know. I mean, I do think ultimately it's pretty clear that he does love her. But this episode, I just didn't like his behavior. Okay. He kind of just sucks this season, doesn't he? Yeah. He does a little bit. Sorry, Mike. It's, I mean, you know what? I don't know why I'm taking the apology on behalf of Mike, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. Sorry to insult you. <laughs> well, that is The Monster and the Superhero. Hooray. Part, part one. one. Yep. We'll be back next week with part two. Part two. Till next time, everybody. Stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed, join us on our Starcourt Study Hall Discord server and follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall.